I'm Nicole Matthews, corporate America dropout turned entrepreneur and owner of The Henley Company, an event travel and lifestyle management firm. It wasn't that long ago that I was dreading my drive to my fancy corporate job each day or felt disenfranchised with the work I was doing. In 2007, I jumped off the corporate escalator and directly into the elevator of opportunity. Today, I'm an author, speaker, educator, and serial asker. I wholeheartedly believe that your life changes when you start creating your own opportunities and making big asks. Hands down, the business and life I have today is 100% the product of giving myself permission to design the life I want to live. It was always my dream to work at the Olympics, and by making a big ask, that dream became a reality. I now have multiple Olympic projects to add to my life resume. I created the Big Ask Podcast to share these best practices with you. Whether you're an entrepreneur hungry for revenue-generating tips or an individual restless to make a significant change, the life you want to live could be just one big ask away. Get ready to be entertained by real life stories, no filter conversations, and inspired by the daily hustle. So let's get started. This is the Big Ass Podcast. Hello, it's Nicole Matthews, and welcome to another episode, episode 10 of the Big Ask Podcast. I'm so thrilled to be um, with my good friend, Dr. Ann Gladys, today. You are all in for an amazing treat. I've known Ann for several years now. She and I both are members at the University Club here in San Diego, which is actually the location from where we're recording today in our beautiful club, our home away from home. Um, and Ann is one of these women who has uh, a code of of many colors. She has talents in many different directions. So I'm super excited that we get to um, spend a little time together um, and to dive into what it is that she has going on in her world right now and other contributions that she um, has made throughout her career. So please help me welcome my good friend, Dr. Ann Gladys. Hello, Ann. Hello, Nicole. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are most welcome. I'm delighted to have you today. So for people who don't know um, who you are, um, particularly those here in San Diego. Um, your bio says, I'll give the official bio and then I want the real Dr. Ann Gladys bio. <laughs> the okay. real scoop. Yes, exactly. Uh, founder of SoMay Enterprises. Um, Dr. Ann Gladys is a leadership expert, dynamic speaker, author, and experienced development professional, specializing in organizational productivity enhancements through solid leadership. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. But what it really means is that you care a lot about organizations, you care a lot about people, and you care a lot about making sure that people are living in their their highest vibration, for mm-hmm. really lack of a better word. So um, so if I was to just meet you on the street and we shared a, an Uber together, what would you tell me about, about you? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a loaded I, I question. Hate, no, I I hate to say that's a really good question because yeah. everybody says that, yeah. but it really is a good question, and it takes me back to the fact that I've been around for a while, <laughs> so there's so much to say, and so most of us hate to be a walking resume, but we look back on the things that are most important to mm-hmm. us, and for me, I tend to look at things I call inflection points. Those are the points in your life that change your own personal trajectory from A to B. And for me, um, I grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Very, very meager means. The idea of going to college was a really big-ass deal. Okay. So college, going to the University of Pittsburgh and majoring in math, was a big-ass deal. And majoring in math in that day and age, when women tended not to do that, was a big deal. But I loved it. So... That's where the trajectory set off. I went to work at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, uh, did computer programming, databases, all those old words. They had keep bunch of cards back then, and you know it was it was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. It was b- before the invention of uh, CDs, and so um, with that, I moved along, came to California, and uh, worked for. Um, an organization for the Navy that dealt with wave propagation. Now, if you're not familiar with wave propagation, it sounds like, oh God, let's go to sleep right now. (laughs) But it's really interesting. What it allows you to do is, for example, look at the the Coronado Islands off the coast here in San Diego. And on certain days, depending on wind wind speed and um, barometric temperature and wind... um, 
or the ambient temperature, those islands will be upside down. So if you're in a position to be firing on an island and your target is upside down, that's a big problem. Okay. So I worked on that sort of thing, how to mitigate the, the negative effects of seeing something up, upside down. Okay. So things moved on from there. And um, uh, as most people in technology do, I moved into management. And so you're no longer hands-on, which was fine. I loved it and got into organizational leadership at this uh-huh. point. Uh, left the feds, went to work for industry, did that. And then I had the profound realization that once you're over 40 and you're in the field of technology, people start saying, why are you still here? Mm. And um, because most of the folks are just young, kids grew up with this stuff. Sure. So I started to think, what can I do that would still be respectable when I got older? And I was already over 40. So I decided to sign up and um, get a doctorate. I signed up at the age of 61 to get my doctoral degree. And I did it because eventually I wanted to teach. Uh And that's a field where if you're older, that's kind of cool. So I figured I had a game plan going forward in my life. So that's how that all started. Now, there's a direct relationship between what I did and going to school and my doctoral dissertation and my book. Uh So life took on the yellow brick road. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So um, you went back to school at 61. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, you had enough experience personally and professionally to sort of choose what you wanted to study. Mm -hmm. And so why that program and why that, that degree? Uh, Organizational leadership is something I felt strong about Mm -hmm. because as human beings, we spend a hell of a lot of time working. Mm -hmm. Uh, If organizations aren't right or they're not right for us, that detracts from our quality of life. And that's a problem. And so I felt that this was something I was passionate about. I had done a lot of organizational leadership. I had done it correctly and I had done it incorrectly. Uh So learning more about it was really important to me, even though I had a lot of people say, you know, at your age, why are you even thinking about doing this? Mm -hmm. But I was passionate about it, so I went ahead and did it. Yeah. And it was important to me because of the human aspect. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the work you're now doing for your own clients. Mm -hmm. So what is what is a regular it's probably not a regular day for you because every day is different. But but what is the what is really the intention of your business at this point? And yeah, at this point, I have a consulting practice and I focus primarily on strategy. And there are as many strategies around for business as there are candies in the candy store. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Harvard Business Review depicted it exactly that way with a bunch of different candies. Interesting. Because strategy can be done one way or another. Uh, Maybe you need to think about competition. Maybe you just need to think about employee retention as the strategy to build your business. So going into strategy was important. And I counsel my clients with the purpose and intent of helping them make more money. As simply put as possible. Always love that. Yep, (laughs) always love that. And I love how uh, you had made a comment as we were warming up for this uh, conversation about you're in a place now where you find the work either needs to fill your pocketbook or fill your soul. Yeah. And I think that's just a really lovely way to put intention yeah. behind the, the decisions that you make. And imagine as a 22-year-old or a 25-year-old going through your career with that sort of intention of yeah. like, this is the work I choose to do because it either fills my pocketbook or it fills my soul mm-hmm. and not getting caught into this sort of no man's land of, I don't really love this and I'm not really making enough money, mm-hmm. um, which I think you know is, is, is a common mistake for most people as they kind of don't know any better, right? Yeah. This is a good job. It's probably where I should stay, um, but it's not necessarily what makes my heart sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot like, we have so many programs on the concept of clutter, right? Yeah. It's a lot like your closet. So over time, you start adding this and you start adding that, and you haven't worn this in a long time, and you hate when you have to wear that. Yeah. And so it's time to clean out the closet. So you look at them in terms of the value they bring to you. Mm-hmm. So for me, a lot of the activities and action items that I've acquired um, have filled up my my closet mm-hmm. and it needs to be thinned like thinning a herd yep and I look at things in terms of does this make my heart smile mm-hmm. and that's great and wonderful we'll keep that does it fill my pocketbook 
we may keep that we may not uh and then the others need to go away yeah we just need to jettison the rest of it right exactly why do you think that you would say no to work that might fill your pocketbook but doesn't fill your soul oh so what kind of decisions are you making to determine yes on the high value in terms of income but low on my richter scale of of joy Mm -hmm. right so what is a kind of an internal conversation that you have when you when a client perhaps comes to you or a potential client yeah well the initial cut is based upon do i know you like you and you respect you that's the first, first cut. thing but i'll give you an example of someone i had someone approach me um god not that all that long ago and i knew her from years ago mm-hmm. and she's very very bright very hard working and she was working with someone and she said um that she uh needed my support she needed my support with something and i was more than happy to consider her request the problem is she had a reputation of expecting people her consultants to respond at two in the morning Uh. because she was kind of a night owl um the fact that someone would be so presumptuous that i would be available and want to do that Mm -hmm. really bothered me so i i said the thing you're supposed to say gosh i'd really love to help you but and i said i just don't have the bandwidth to do it sure um and then she told other friends that i had turned her down and she was so hurt and all that sort of thing but sometimes you just have to respect your own personal boundaries 100 that's an example of turning someone down yeah for sure what advice would you give a young version of Anne? so an Anne that has all the knowledge that you have now but is just starting her career what what it what's kind of like best lessons that you've learned um throughout the course of your career um if you are into something and i've i've just done this recently with my daughter um if it's if it's not making you totally happy or you think it won't make you happy in the future in the out years Mm -hmm. it's time to think about something new Mm -hmm. and look at your strengths and look at what you like to do generally they go hand in hand if you're good at something you tend to like it yeah you know and if you tend to like it you're usually good at it so that was part of the advice i would give someone i also think it's really important when things are going bad and you decide you want to say no Mm -hmm. that you step back and you create the proverbial exit plan Mm. and i've done this before last exit plan i did was seven months long but it included things like allowing for vested stock options Mm -hmm. don't cut off your nose to spite your face right so always think in terms of exit plans too Mm -hmm. and appropriate ones yeah i think you know my parents were both lifetimers at at their profession Mm -hmm. now both retired but my mom spent almost 40 years at an organization and to me that's like oh how could you possibly right Uh and now that we're in this like gig economy Mm -hmm. i i know that my niece and nephew who are you know late teens early 20s will never spend 40 years at no a workplace right so just the dynamics of just what it means to go to work every single day i think is changing definitely in the amount of time that i've been working and i'm sure in the growth of your career as well where people are doing more of a gig economy where they can really sort of respond to what makes me happy i don't need to be somewhere for 40 years but at least i can find the kind of work that i like to do and it might be at multiple places it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily always have to be at the one place for 40 years exactly right so graduating from college and not thinking i have to be at this one company for the rest of my life yeah but really marketing yourself so that you do have opportunities to jump from opportunity to opportunity and not just necessarily job to job right yeah. There's no requirement for monogamy right. when it when it comes to a career or a profession or a job. Right. Earlier today, I was giving a presentation, and I, I had a chart that spoke to what I call geeksters. Uh-huh. And geeksters are people who practice the gig economy. Some of this is being promoted because we're hearing younger people talk about ha- always have multiple income streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard a guy the other night, he said, have 10, oh my gosh. which I don't know that I could even keep track of that. That's like... <laughs> That's like 10 children. My God. Right. But, you know, he said multiple income streams are important in case one gives out on you. So I have um, some research and statistics on that. By the year 2027, the number of gigsters and the number of people who have job jobs mm-hmm. will be equal. 
Mm. It's a 50-50 split. After that, the the lines on the graph part, and we'll have more gigsters mm. than we have people who have job jobs. Yeah, interesting. So we have a horizon on the way that's very, very interesting. Right. Well, and it also speaks, I think that's those are powerful statistics because now the marketing of yourself is so much more crucial. Yes. Whereas if I had a job job, mm-hmm. I can kind of get that job and then sort of park myself. And maybe I'll get promoted, maybe I won't, but I still have the sort of the security and the sanctity of that organization. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm gigging, mm-hmm. I now have to, you know, I can't put all my eggs in one big whale, yeah. really. I can't have my big fish client because if that goes away, now I'm sunk. So now I have to continue to market myself in every single you know opportunity that I can. So those soft skills, marketing, entrepreneurial classes are going to be so important for the next generation, if you will, the gigsters, Mm -hmm. because if they're anticipating, I only need to do this one time and get my gig, you know, that's not going to necessarily fulfill their financial requirements that they need in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a friend and this is a career path that's been around for many years and it may be the first gig career. Um, and I had never thought of it this way. And she said, um, and I just sold a house. She's a real estate agent. I just sold a house, but you need to understand I am constantly interviewing for my next job. Mm You just never know when the next job's going to come right. and who you're going to have to work for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's profound. It is profound. So your new book is called The Invisible Leader. Yes. And I know you talk a lot about the virtual workplace, mm-hmm. um, which I think is fascinating because you're, the beginning of your career obviously wasn't virtual. No. You're very traditionalist yeah. in that sense, yeah. right? So where did that shift come from in terms of thinking like a traditionalist versus now a a virtual workplace Mm -hmm. guru? Actually, it happened when I was employed for the feds, and I was the first um, federal leader on the West Coast to start telework. Oh, okay. And this was like 20 years ago. And and I know I did it all wrong, (laughs) but I learned from it. And... um, and I always felt very fondly about the topic, and I saw it start to grow. Mm-hmm. I saw who fit well into it and who, which people were totally uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and I talk about some of them in my book. There are stories. I've changed the names mm-hmm. to protect the innocent. <laughs> and, um, but some really, really interesting and funny stories uh, about um, moving into the virtual workspace, mm-hmm. especially if it's not your thing. Yeah. And so when I started my doctoral program, of course, you take course after course after course but that's not the mainstay of a doctorate the mainstay is not to be abd all but dissertation Mm. so you have to write the dissertation and for that you need a topic so i chose to look at leadership behaviors in the virtual workspace not traits not traits like generosity but the behavior Mm. that underlines that so that was the the crooks of the research that i did and i wrote up the dissertation and while it's interesting in its essence oh my god it's written up in a very academic style with all the citations and references and blah 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 so the book is a translation of the dissertation into real um real discussion so uh i actually got to have a voice yeah and uh so that made it a lot of fun and so it takes something that was steeped in lots of research and turned it into something that was more practical and understandable by people who are actually doing it Mm -hmm. and people who are leading it and how they're screwing up yeah okay so how are they screwing up okay first of all you have pretty much three kind of leaders in this world. You have the leader who says, okay, you're gonna work at home, thank God. You are so high maintenance, glad to have you out of my sight. Now, obviously these words aren't uttered, Mm -hmm. but that's the leader who's not gonna pay any attention to that person once the person walks out the door and starts working God knows where. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have another kind of leader who is a micromanager Mm -hmm. and who worries that if his or her numbers fall, they'll look bad. So they become the consummate micromanager. They're the ones who ask that you keep the camera on all day so they can watch you. 
Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> there really are leaders like that. Oh, no. Yes. And uh, then there's something called the transformational leader, and that's the leader who tends to do it right. That's the leader who can actually get a 40% increase in productivity by taking someone out of brick and mortar and putting them in a telework environment or a virtual environment, assuming that they're prone to it. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is mm-hmm. right for that kind of job. Right. What are the characteristics for the for a virtual worker to be the, successful? Yes. For that kind of person, um, uh, very organized, mm-hmm. uh, is able to work on his or her own. Keep in mind, a lot of people thrive off of the interpersonal mm-hmm. uh, relationships. In, in Myers-Briggs, it's the difference between the introvert and the extrovert. Mm-hmm. Uh, the extrovert drives um, energy by working with people. So if you have extroverts, maybe not exactly suited for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who like to work cerebrally on their own, more suited. Mm-hmm. I found when I made the switch, mm-hmm. when I became an entrepreneur, um, it's also about discipline. Mm-hmm. And and most people think it's discipline of, aren't you distracted by so much going on at your house? You know, like, oh. wouldn't you rather be doing the laundry than working? Well, the laundry doesn't make me money. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the reverse discipline problem in that I would never stop working mm-hmm. because there was no natural sort of end to my day. Um at the time I had a boyfriend who was living with me and when he would come home that would be sort of my internal signal like okay I should no longer be working and probably be a girlfriend now and we should have dinner and enjoy the evening but when he went away so did my boundary of working right so then now I am paying attention to the clock based on what's on the television as my background noise Mm -hmm. so when the late night shows start coming on and you're still (laughs) sitting there I found that I needed to set better boundaries in terms of stopping to work. Yeah. Whereas some people would find they were distracted by, you know, the laundry or cleaning a bathroom or which never even crossed my mind. I but mean, see, those... those people are equally distracted when someone walks in their sure. office. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's interesting. And there's a whole host of, of characteristics of the people who work better at home. It's a good idea that employees have an assessment done before they embark on it. Mm-hmm. And it's a good idea that the leader has an assessment done mm-hmm. to be sure that they're really prone to lead well that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, working virtually or allowing, permitting someone to work virtually is a lot like giving a 16-year-old the keys to a car. Mm-hmm. Once you've done it, it's very difficult to ask for the keys back yes. or even demand them. Yes. So. You know, be careful what you wish for. Sure. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about how you do lead a team that's virtual. So what are some of the characteristics, best practices, mm-hmm. the stories in your book that you tell in terms of people who are doing that successfully? Yeah. There are four characteristics that really underpin the the entire leadership paradigm. One is, uh, I call it give a damn. Mm-hmm. It's called... Um, individualized consideration. And what it means is that you take the time to acknowledge the person as more than an employee, that this is really a human being. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, human resources are human. (laughs) So the same way you would walk into an office and say good morning, it might be a good idea to say good morning to someone who's out there in the hinterland. Okay. Um, If they have a birthday, to wish them a happy birthday. Uh, I have one story that I absolutely love about a company that did the following. the person was working for this company on a large-scale uh, proposal for a very, very big government contract. The work involved in excess of one year of working pretty much 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, the person was working off-site, but not at home. So it was kind of a remote, not in the office, not at home. Mm-hmm. And um, the proposal was finished, and they won the contract. This company did something I've never heard of anybody doing again. Uh, They sent something to the employee's home. It was a big, big box. Every bit of three by three by three. Mm -hmm. Big box arrives at the house. It's addressed to this woman's children. And it was filled with toys. Mm. But it was more importantly filled with a note Mm -hmm. or had a note in it. The note said, thank you so much for sharing your mom with us. She made the difference. Mm. And that's the kind of human 
element mm-hmm. on individualized consideration that needs to exist to keep people yeah. moving on. Sure. Uh, the second one goes to um, motivation and stimulation. Lots of times what happens is, um, or intellectual stimulation, uh, lots of times what happens is the plum assignments go to people in the office or eyeball clicking with them. Mm-hmm. Here, let's give it to Nicole. I can see her right mm-hmm. now. And not to the people who are working elsewhere. Mm. So um, it's very difficult to keep someone motivated when they're getting get, getting the, the crap assignments. Yeah, sure. You know, the heavy lifting ones that mm-hmm. don't get any accolades. Um, also in terms of intellectual stimulation, the people working remotely tend not to get really nice training where they can go off for a week or two and actually go through a developmental program as opposed to just one day in and out training. Mm-hmm. So they providing that intellectual um, stimulation, stimulation is really, really important. Inspiration and motivation, um, acknowledging and, and recognizing people is a big deal as well. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one goes to um, being the coach, being the collaborator. Uh, we see that a lot with charismatic leaders, that um, they can work with an employee and that employee feels filled and on to do more. I had um, one uh, leader I worked for, his name was Carl, and Carl was amazing. If he called me at 3.30 in the afternoon and we spoke for 15 minutes, I was ready to work for another eight hours. <laughs> That's how incredible he was in terms of of uh, getting me all pumped up about what I did. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of characteristics are what make remote work, remote workers the best they can be. Are there companies that are doing it really well? Are there sort of some, mm-hmm. uh, some you know, um, some leaders in this field? Yeah, there are companies who have done it well. They've seen increases in productivity of as much as 40%. Um, the first company to ever start it was uh, JCPenney. Mm. And they okay. did it with customer service. Mm. And they hired uh, a lot of women who were working at home. Okay. And the calls came in and they took care of them. They were able to take care of their families. And uh, that was that was a good start for them. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was all very much hinged on technology. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the right tech, you can't make it happen. Mm-hmm. So they've done really well. On the flip side, we've seen... Um, Yahoo. And several years ago, Marissa Merrow, when she became CEO, mm-hmm. she actually backed off from virtual work, remote work. Now, the press she got was that she took it all away from everybody, but she didn't. What she ended up doing was taking it away from about just 200 people. They happened to be the innovators and the best and the brightest. There were also the 16-year-olds who had their <laughs> car keys taken away. Yeah. Didn't go over well, especially in light of the fact that not long after she did that, she gave birth to her first child mm-hmm. and built a huge nursery. That tells isn't that working at home? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was it was kind of an interesting situation for the people who actually worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it turned out as well as she wanted it to. Mm-hmm. So what about uh, cooperative workspaces? Mm-hmm. Um, we work, yeah. downtown works, yes. popping up all over Hera Hub here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. If I am an independent and I'm in the gig economy sort of working for myself, how do I benefit from working remotely if I'm not going to a company? Like, what are best practices I can implement for myself if I'm working in a cooperative work in space, but nobody's working on my same project, right? We're all just physically there together, but we're all ducks of a different feather, mm-hmm. right? So what are your thoughts around cooperative workspaces and where are there opportunities perhaps as a culture of that workspace that some of this could be created? Right. Uh, those people are sometimes referred to as digital nomads mm-hmm. because they'll work in an Airbnb, they'll right. work in a hostel, they'll work at uh, co-work spaces. Yep. Uh, oddly enough, I just finished a presentation earlier today mm-hmm. at Downtown Works and um, it was part of their Lunch and Learn program. And Downtown Works does a lot to facilitate the sense of community within the space. So even though we have people working in so many different kinds of businesses, they have a chance to come together and learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke with an attorney who focuses on um, divorce coaching. 
mm. uh, and helping people have appropriate expectations as they go through that. Uh, we had a, a number of folks that were in the luncheon from uh, the world of IT. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some nonprofits sitting in the room. So, uh, but they all were looking at a sense of community. Now, again, I talk about flip sides. If I owned a company and I had some someone sitting in a co-work space with other people who worked for similar companies, mm-hmm. I would kind of worry about how much of my business might be shared sure. in under the spirit of community, but it seems to be working very, very well, and they're happy people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what makes the difference. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sense of competition, that is interesting because you're right. Most of them are sort of in like spaces. You know, there's certain industries that sort of lend themselves to mm-hmm. being a digital nomad. Yeah. You think about coders or graphic designers or somebody who really can just work anywhere as long as they have their laptop. Mm-hmm. All um, of the intellectual kinds of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, when was it? Gosh, 2000. 15. I did a presentation at Harvard, and it was standing room only. Usually, people don't come to these very dull, uh-huh. dry uh, conference presentations, but the title was what brought them in. <laughs> and my title was, You Can't Rivet an Airplane in Your Jammies. <laughs> so that's, as you're alluding to, that's one of the jobs that doesn't mm-hmm. go home with you. Mm-hmm. It's not a remote job. Yeah, It's a jammy job for something else. Yes, definitely. The digital nomad space has definitely been of interest to me. I, I love companies like uh, Remote Year mm-hmm. that are you know, literally physically moving people around the world and creating this very global work experience. Mm-hmm. Again, as long as you have your laptop, right? It's You can be anywhere in the world. We could be having this conversation in Barcelona or yeah. in Rome. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of value to that. I think it's, again, going back to, you know, if I'm in the gig economy, am I thinking about things like retirement and, you know, much and having to be much more diligent in terms of making my own contributions to a retirement? Those are the kinds of things. So I think from an experiential standpoint, the gig economy, the remote, the digital nomads, I love, I'm totally on board with that. But then the practical side of me says there definitely has to be a piece of that where it's great that you're working in Barcelona this month, but when you're 65, are you going to be able to retire or are you still having to chase a dollar because you haven't been thoughtful about mm-hmm. your your business planning? Yeah. And if you chasing know. the dollar is a game, mm-hmm. you want to do it forever. Forever. Yeah. And if you're you know still intellectually sound mm-hmm. and can do that, why not? Yeah, for sure. But we, we are... We have, what, close to five generations in the workspace Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And um, we've seen a cultural shift to people who prefer experiences Mm -hmm. as opposed to things. Mm -hmm. Things have to be cared for. They have to be cleaned. They have to be fixed. Experiences live on forever. Sure. And so we we find a transition to that. We also find a transition away from a lot of responsibility. Uh, Fewer children are being born. Mm -hmm. And... You know, that has a different component in terms of time, energy, and money. Mm -hmm. So the idea of living more of an experiential life Mm -hmm. as opposed to a materialistic life has its um, enticement to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's a a normal day look like for you since you work remotely, right? You work in your home office. So how do you keep yourself... um, Uh, disciplined? How do you set your boundaries? How much of your time is sort of spent at the office versus um, with clients? Kind of talk through what's a normal looking day sort of for you. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that's really important for all of us, not just for me, is to look at my energy algorithm. For me, I do my best thinking and my best work in the morning. So my most important work gets done in the morning. I have a lot of clients on the East Coast. That's fine. If I'm up working at five, it's eight for them. Mm -hmm. That all conjoins just great. Um, So I find that I'll spend my early hours doing the more intense, um, mentally oriented work. Mm -hmm. Uh, After that, it's time to get up and walk the city. Yeah. I love living downtown. And so as soon as I can get out and walk, I clear my head and I plan for 
other things during the day. Mm-hmm. Then I try to get out. Then it's back to the desk. Then I teach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the morning part is generally writing and meetings. Okay. And the later part of the day is more of the teaching and the social part. Mm-hmm. So happy hour was made for me <laughs> <laughs> because I don't do much thinking yeah. know, in the evening. And teaching is very easy for me. Right. I don't do both at the same time, by the way. <laughs> That's a whole class I would take. Yeah. Yes, for sure. For sure. I've seen you drink and I've seen you teach, so I would yeah. be benefit from, from all of that. They aren't so. mutually exclusive. Yes, they aren't mutually exclusive. They're not in my classroom, at least. Not in my classroom. Um, so the 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 intention of my podcast is the big ask. Yes. And so I'd like to kind of dive a little bit deeper into when in throughout your life have you felt like you've made a big ask? Um, and what was that process like? And what was the result? And what is your current big ask? Okay. I'm really happy that we're going to discuss this because it's a real big problem that I have. Asking is um, almost a near-death experience for me. I don't like to ask for things. It's... um, it's worked to my advantage because I tend to be very independent mm-hmm. and really try to do something on my own. If I'm asking someone for something, it's because I really need it. I just tend not to ask. Uh, I'm trying to get over that. Mm-hmm. I want to have more of the mentality that the average salesperson has. The average salesperson says, it's okay if people turn me down. I am that much closer to the yes. Uh-huh. Why can't I live that way? Right. I really wish I could. Could. So I thought a lot about uh, the big ask. And, you know, I, I applied for my doctoral program. That was kind of an ask, but it was done on paper. Uh-huh. And if they said no, they said no. Uh, if I got thrown out, that was okay. There were times I thought I couldn't complete it. Mm. And I said, well, stay here till I'm thrown out. Mm. And uh, graduated with 4.0 and <laughs> with lots of accolades. So that went well. Um, but uh, for me, at this point, I'm trying to ask for more. So today I'm going to have a big ask. My big ask for today is to buy my book. Okay. I can say that more easily because a portion of the proceeds goes to a scholarship foundation. Mm -hmm. So I feel more comfortable asking. And... um, and I will ask you to buy the book too. 100%. So that's my big ask yes. for today. Yes. Okay. I love that. I love that. So let's dive a little bit deeper though into your hesitation to ask. So is that a person? Oh, we need to bring in a psychologist for that. So so is that a nature or a nurture? Have you been nurtured to not ask because growing up that's what girls didn't do? Or is it just innately who you are, do you think? No, it's a nurture thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it came from some things that will not go and not yeah. be described. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, it was a nurture thing. Okay. I, I learned how not to ask, mm-hmm. and I've become very good at that. See, now I have known you for a few years, and I have to be honest with you that the fact that you say that is completely surprises me because I think you're so intentional in the words that you choose, in the actions that you make as, as somebody who is a voyeur in your life at you know different times, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that that's an admission that you feel like you can't ask because I'm trying to think back to when I've ever heard you ask for something and I haven't, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I just feel like that because you, you feel very comfortable in your skin. And so the hesitation surprises me. And I say that in the most complimentary way (laughs) because because everything about you is so intentional um, that I am surprised that you have admitted that. Actually, it's a first step, isn't it? Yeah. I like it. I like it. Right? First step, admitting first you have step a problem. Is admitting that there, that there may be an issue. There may be an issue. But I think it spawned a lot of independence. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I really have to be fully unable unable to do something before I'll go that route. Right. It, it was interesting. I remember when I bought my first Apple computer. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago because I was a PC gal. I was, okay. you know, in defense yes, contracting right. and blah, right, blah, blah. Right, right. And, um, and so I had always used a PC. And it came time to um, leave the, the corporate world and go out on my own. And so I sat down with my son and I said, well, what do you think I ought to do? And he said... <laughs> You gotta go to Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Just get away from this PC world. Yeah. And I said, okay, I don't know anything about it. Uh, come shopping with me. And he did. And he prescribed the right uh, machine with the right uh, storage and all of that sort of thing. And he looked at me and he said, now, mom, if there's anything you don't understand or if you have any questions, let me know and I'll Google it for you. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> what do you think I do a lot of now? I Google. <laughs> that's so. I funny. mean, it worked. Yeah, yeah. No, one hundred percent. So, okay. Well, that's something I learned about you today because I yeah. was not prepared for you to say that. I, in my mind, you are. Um, you're very strong. You're very independent. Like I said, you're very intentional. You're very um, supportive of other women and oh, I can ask for other people. Uh, right, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 <laughs> yes. Good. Okay. So now that I know that, I'm going to pay attention to that with you. So that's that's awesome. So, um, so what's next for you? What else? What are you working on right now that excites you? You finally wrote the book, mm-hmm. which I'm proud of you because we've had that conversation for a few years. So what what's next for you? I've just completed writing the next book. Oh my god. Even though this one just launched on the 26th of January, yes, I finished writing it. Now, that doesn't mean it's edited. <laughs> it just means it's written. Uh, the book deals with issues concerning public speaking mm-hmm. uh, on two levels. One dimension goes to um, the fear, the glossophobia that exists, and the other goes to actually constructing a decent PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) And there must be 200 tips in this whole thing of how to do it and how to do it right. So it's another basic how-to book. Love it. Uh, The first book is part of a series, so there'll be more invisible people coming down the road. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) People yet to be seen. Yeah. Invisible workers, invisible professors, invisible students, invisible clients. We live in a remote world. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. What, um, What tools do you have to motivate yourself? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Who who do you follow? Kind of what brings inspiration to your life? Okay. Well, in the morning, I follow uh, Darren Hardy. Okay. And he does the Darren Daily, and he's the uh, publisher of Success Magazine. Uh huh. And I've always been a proponent of it. He launched the magazine, and every magazine had in it a CD of their special speakers, mm-hmm. so you can listen to that going to work. But his daily routine is usually just a, a three to six minute spiel and um, you walk away with something pretty much every day that's applicable to your life so that's motivational for me Um, um, Cynthia Trevino's book is Mm -hmm. what I'm looking at right now uh, the she markets because she gets into the fact that as women we don't ask Mm -hmm. and what is marketing it's asking Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so um, uh, looking at those two primarily right now. Okay. Yeah, plus the school books. Yeah. Yeah. Reading Creswell yet again. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> and then in addition to your, your books being published, what, what other projects are you working on that excites you? Anything with your clients right now that is bringing joy to your life? Oh, uh, client work. <laughs> I, I swear every time one of them wins a contract, my heart just skips a beat. I'm always yeah. happy for them. Yeah. So we're either working on moving them towards a big award or celebrating the fact that it occurred. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so that's, that's so been good. interesting and fun for me. I love it. Love good. my clients. And that's good. Well, they, I'm sure they love you. And the fact that you said uh, my job is to help them make more money. More money. For more them. Money. Yes. Yes. That, I mean, what a tagline that is, right? That people yeah. come to you and... and, and you say, what do so, you do? Yeah. It, so what? Let's, let's dive into that for the last couple of minutes here. It... Um, what are most people's challenges from not making more money? Okay. The biggest, and this is a generic challenge, but you can apply it to just about everybody. Um, it's the issue of change management. Right now I'm teaching a course on uh, how to be a consultant. And more often than not, what you're helping a company do is deal with change. Usually they don't call you until they're having a problem with change, and mm-hmm. most change brings problems. Mm-hmm. So the issue of change and change management is probably the one that seeks out the most. Where do they need change? They need change with human resources. They need change in cutting costs and how people are reacting to cost cutting. If you're scoping down your um, your brick-and-mortar footprint, People are being displaced, and mm-hmm. they have to work remotely mm-hmm. uh, and dealing with the change that's coming up. There are a number of change models, and you pick the right one that goes with that particular client. One of my favorite models is uh, John Cotter's. He's um, at Harvard and has done a spectacular job creating uh, his change model. But there are others that are apropos to the situation. Mm-hmm. Good. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Who's been a big mentor to you? <sighs> wow. Probably, um, well, obviously you start at home 
you know, uh, with uh, your parental influence. And for me, that was my mother. Mm-hmm. Her two values were religion and um, uh, education. And I went to 12 years of Catholic school. So we, we got that check mark. Yeah. And uh, education onto the, the doctoral level. Uh-huh. So those were her two primaries. But through life, probably my biggest mentor when I was with the feds, for example, was Carl. He's the guy who could call at 3.30 oh, okay. and energize me to go another eight hours. Okay. He was phenomenal. Put me in the right place at the right time in front of the right people. Mm-hmm. And I will be forever grateful to him for oh, that. That's nice. Yeah. Do you feel like beyond your student that you have an opportunity to mentor people right now? Uh, beyond my students. Well, I spend a lot of time with them. Yes. I'm um, not just teaching the three classes, but also I have eight, yes, eight students. Um, I'm on three committees and chairing five dissertations right now. <laughs> so I spend Saturdays one-on-one with my uh, the people I'm chairing. Oh, amazing. So they're kind of students, but they're not really because they're more candidates mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy them. I love interacting with younger people. Yeah. It feeds my soul. Yeah. I am not my age. No. I am 47. I have decided I am 47 forever. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, the, which is why it surprised me when you said that you went back at 61. Yeah. Because I know you to be 26, right? The energy that you bring to the room. So, Thank you. All right. Um, so before we close, I just want to make sure that everyone knows. So the, the book is called The Invisible Leader yes, by what? Dr. Ann Gladys mm-hmm. and can be just on your website or where books are sold. Um, Amazon. On Amazon. is the easiest, fastest, Perfect. quickest way to get it. Or if you happen to know me, I'll sign a copy for you in a heartbeat. I love it. Okay, good. All right. Are you ready for the rapid fire questions? No. No. Come on. These are the fun <laughs> ones. These are the fun ones. Okay. So always ask uh, my guests the same set of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you have people who have already answered these questions, but I'd love to compare compare answers. So <laughs> title of your lifetime movie. How to lead a fear-based life. Fear-based? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. That has another story associated okay, with it. Okay, <laughs> okay. That's like a whole other podcast. That'll be the next title of the podcast. Okay, perfect. If you could change places with any celebrity right this minute, who would it be? Michelle Obama. Oh, I love it. Okay, good. When do you feel happiest? Oh, God, I'm so happy. I'm happy when I'm with my children. I'm happy when I'm with my grand dog. I'm happy when I teach. There are rare times when I'm not happy because I've constructed my life around two things. Does it fill my heart? Does it fill my pocketbook? I know. I love that. I would say that you probably are one of the most the happiest people that I know every I time I see joyful. you and the other thing you do very well and I will compliment you on this is that you have a great capacity for to make somebody feel like they're the only person in the room oh never realized that yeah oh good when you are in a conversation you are in a conversation you aren't checking a phone or looking across the room or anything so I value that in you, you and I Thank I, you. Could, I could do better at that um, if you were running for politics what would be your biggest campaign promise I know this goes back to Reagan, but free education. Okay. Ultimate dinner party. Which four guests do you invite and why? Oh, four guests. Well, I would invite my children. Okay. Okay. That's two, right? That's, that's yeah, I have two of them. <laughs> they each have a significant other, so okay. I probably, we'll have to expand this beyond four. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I think I would look at... Um, Inviting someone who brings humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the opportunity to hear Jay Leno live up in Newport Beach, uh-huh. and he brings a sense of joyousness to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think at a party, that's that's important. Um, I would bring someone who's a good thinker, and I had a professor, Farzine Majidi, who was amazing. He could bring heart, soul, and academics together in one. Mm. So I would I would bring those two other okay. people as well. I love it. What a gift to your to your children to be in good company, <laughs> right? Uh, right this minute, you have to get a tattoo. Okay. Okay. What do you get and why? Okay, it's not going to be a tramp stamp. <laughs> you already have one of those, of course, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, um, maybe maybe the name of my grand dog. Okay. Do I have to say where? 
No. Well, okay, you good. Can. No, would, no, we won't. That might help the ratings. It, no, it would be it would be probably somewhere that's visible though. Okay. You be, don't need to, if you're going to have one. I love my grand dog. Okay, I love that. And and his or her name is. His name is Bacchus, the god of wine. <laughs> No great Surprise idea. answers, right? right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, biggest pet peeve in business. Oh my God, lack of responsiveness. I keep telling people it cuts to the ego of your clients. You must be responsive. Mm-hmm. I try to set a standard of two hours. Even if I can't do something in two hours, I'll let them know you're on my radar. Yeah, I'm I thinking you. about you. Yeah. Don't insult someone's um, uh, sense of ego. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, and I hate when people make me feel stupid yeah. or say something assuming I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we'll stay with responsiveness. Okay. Good one. What is your wish for the next generation? Mm. To reduce the amount of anxiety that seems to exist in um, the younger people. And I see it more the younger they are the more anxiety they seem Mm -hmm. to have. And it's probably because we no longer have a velocity of change. We have acceleration, which is the next dimension up from velocity. Mm -hmm. It's moving very quickly. And I, I can't... I don't know how they're going to be able to go to every store and have Baskin Robbins in every one of them. How do you make decisions? Yes, exactly. Exactly. When does your light shine the brightest? I think when I'm speaking and presenting, whether it's in the classroom or to a group of people, mm-hmm. I really feel good about it and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I like relating. I love speaking with people who are responsive. They're active listeners. Mm-hmm. And I had some of those today. It just yeah. made me beam. Yeah. There's nothing better than that. Yeah. yeah. When when what you're delivering is resounding with people and, you're, and it's landing and, yeah. you, and you get that response. I agree. being appreciated mm-hmm. is... Is a really good thrill. Yeah, definitely. So the last question is always, "What is your big ask?" So yes. your big I've ask done is, that. is is the book. Anything else we can help you with at all, personally, professionally? Buy multiple copies Buy of my book <laughs> and give them to friends. <laughs> yes, yes, and and um, if this is if this pre- what I do presents a need to another group that I can speak with, I'd be more than happy to do that. Great. What's the best way for people to reach you? Uh, a Gladys at SomeyEnterprises.com, which is a long, long word, or easier. A Gladys at Gmail. There you go. Perfect. Okay, great. Well, A Gladys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have enjoyed our time together. So I thank you too. so much for sharing your wisdom and allowing um, the people who haven't had the fortune of knowing you like I have to uh, have a little insight into your soul, into your wisdom. So thank you very much for joining us on the Big Ask and podcast. And uh, for all of you, do us a favor and drop a review. Um, it helps us to uh, grow our following on uh, in the podcast land. So have a great day, and thank you so much for everything. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I had fun. Great. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Ass Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe to and share the podcast with your friends. And be sure to connect with me on social at Miss Nicole Matthews or at Big Ass Podcast. Until next time, let today be the day you make a big ask. Big Ask.